Hello, Divorce and Beyond family. Susan here, and I'm excited to announce the launch of a brand new resource page on the website for you. I always say that you need to educate yourself when you're going through divorce because knowledge truly is power. And I think reading is one of the best ways that you can gain that knowledge. So I've compiled a list of my recommended books and reading on all topics related to divorce. We've got finance, parenting, emotional regulation, healing, and a lot more. So check it out on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com backslash beyond-reading. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I think about 10% of adults have high conflict personalities. And that means that they're stuck in conflict, that they don't resolve conflict. They stay in conflict, escalate conflict. Uh, They're preoccupied with blaming others. And so they don't change anything themselves. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today is another special day on the Divorce and Beyond podcast because we have Bill Eddy back with us to talk about his new book. So first, Bill, thank you. I know it's a really busy time for you. You just finished a four-hour training and you're now making the time to talk with us. So thank you very much. My pleasure. I'm always glad to be on with you, Susan. Well, this is particularly exciting. I have to tell you, um, you know, first, let me just get, not that you usually need a big, long intro, but I like to do it anyway. Um, So for everyone out there who is listening, who perhaps has not met Bill yet, Bill is a family law attorney, mediator, therapist, you're a licensed clinical social worker, and the author of pretty much every seminal book on dealing with high conflict and high conflict resolution that is out there. And I just went over earlier to my bookcase just to sort of pull a few off. And so I have It's All Your Fault by Bill Eddy. Then I have High Conflict People in Legal Disputes by Bill Eddy. Then my another one of my personal favorites, very important book, Splitting, Protecting Yourself While Divorcing Someone with Borderline or Narcissistic Personality Disorder. That's with Randy Krieger and Bill. Randy wrote um, How to Stop Walking on Eggshells or Stop Walking on Eggshells. And you have a second edition of this coming out soon, right, Bill? Coming out next month. Oh, very exciting. And then we have the original Biff. Everyone is so tired of hearing me say Biff them. And then we have the new and up-to-date Biff that Bill, actually, we have a prior episode, Biff for co-parents. And now, very exciting, Mediating High Conflict Disputes. Um, I'm so excited this finally came out. You very kindly sent me a pre-production copy that I got to read. Um, I was thrilled to write a little um, blurb about it, and I just saw that it's here on that first page. 
very honored um, to be able to uh, let people know how important I think this book is, Bill. So we're going to talk about mediating high conflict disputes today. And this is a topic that um, I, I just am I'm thrilled to talk about because it's probably the issue when it comes to mediation from people who are going through divorce, probably one of the most common questions I get. So again, Bill, thank you so much for being here. The book just came out. It's already a smash bestseller. So we're really excited to talk about it. So let's start. Let me let, you know, I was just thinking about it. And one thing I did want to ask you about, um, and because I've been noticing that a large number of people, it, it seems, are thinking or saying that they're going through a divorce with a high conflict personality. It seems to be on an upswing. Um, and you mentioned to me just before we started taping that you think that COVID actually had maybe something to do with that or that you've noticed this as well. And I'd just love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So what what happens with COVID, I think, is, let, well, first of all, let me start by saying, I think about 10% of adults have high conflict personalities. And that means that they're stuck in conflict, that they don't resolve conflict, they stay in conflict, escalate conflict. Uh, they're preoccupied with blaming others, and so they don't change anything themselves. So when you have a crisis like COVID, Let's say 80 to 90% of people go, oh, we've, we've got to kind of be careful here. We've got to shut down some of our more extreme behaviors. But high conflict people go the other direction. They freak out and they become more high conflict and more extreme. And so, for example, domestic violence in family cases. So you see that go up in situations like this. Well, everybody else, even the kids are trying to be good, you know, or trying to, I'm sorry, mommy, you know, I'll try to do better. And I know, you know, it's, I can't be yelling in the house right now because you're freaking out. And so it's a time when they act worse, everyone else tries to act better. And so partly that puts pressure on relationships so that people realize, whoa, you know, I can't spend 24 hours a day with this person uh, yes. ever again or starting tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, so you see, so the need for, for methods of handling divorce combined with that courts have shut down, courts are very limited, and yet mediation is very available. So we're seeing really these two reasons, I think, that high conflict divorce mediation especially seems to be growing. Um, but I think high conflict disputes in general going to mediation uh, is also growing. Yes. And that's, um, you know, I, I think in some ways COVID had a little silver lining for those of us in the dispute resolution field, because as you mentioned, with the courts closed, I think people who would not have normally reached out for alternate dispute resolution processes like mediation uh, have, um, which has, has been a boon to our industry. But I'm sure you've heard, as I have over the years, um, over and over again, maybe you don't hear it as often as I do uh, because of your area of expertise, but I hear all the time, you cannot mediate with a high conflict personality or a person who's struggling with a high conflict personality. You cannot do it. Excuse me. You have to litigate. 
What do you say to that? Not at all true, but I think historically that's been a common belief. And I, I would say I even had that belief until maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago. Because of being a family lawyer, as well as being a family mediator, because what I realized is high-conflict people need more structure and they need more limits. Um, they they um, have a hard time following directions because they want to resist and be the opposite of directions. So you think, well, this is a case for court. Have the judge tell them what to do, then they'll do what they have to do. Well, we've learned in two directions. One is that court isn't all that great for high-conflict people because the judge tells them what to do, and then they go out and they don't do it. Um, But now they're escalated. Um, Whereas in mediation, we've learned that the way we structure it, the way we talk to people, the tasks we require them to be engaged in, and they're willing to be if they're not real escalated, Um, can be very productive. So I'm very convinced now not only that they can do mediation, but it's better for them in most cases to do mediation. And like you mentioned, our book Splitting that I did with Randy Crater. And and those folks, um, we say, try hard to stay out of court, mediate, etc., but always be prepared for the possibility you may have to go to court. And that's, that's what I recommend. When you're dealing with a high-conflict person, be ready to go to court. You know, keep good records, keep good notes, but really try hard to, to resolve the case out of court because a high-conflict person won't be as escalated in a mediation setting, like where you can stop and take a break. In court, you can say, Your Honor, can I just take a 20-minute break here? The judge is going to say, no, I'm about to rule, and then you can live your life out of here. Uh, So it's really, it's it's a shift in awareness. And I think writing this book, Mediating High Conflict Disputes, so many pieces came together to me that I learned over the last 40 years as a mediator that I've applied the last dozen years doing high-conflict mediation. So it can be done, and it should be tried. Yeah, it's, it's one of my colleagues once called the litigation cycle or the litigation process with when you have someone with a high-conflict um, personality disorder or, or something along those lines involved is just an institutionalized conflict cycle. You go to court, court orders something, you leave the court, they don't do it. You have to come back to court to try and get them to do it or be punished for not doing it. And you just actually find yourself caught up in a, a just a horrible cycle um, of ongoing litigation and you know, almost a guarantee they're not going to do what they're told to do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's when you think of it, think of high conflict people that have an adversarial approach to problem solving without resolution. That's how they live their life. They're stuck in adversarial problem solving. Think of the court system as an adversarial system of conflict resolution. So you put high conflict people into the adversarial system of conflict resolution, and guess what? Nothing ever gets resolved. 
And I go, why isn't this resolved? I made orders. I told them clearly what to do. Why are they back every year? Because they don't resolve. That's that's the thing that makes them high conflict. They don't resolve. Right. And that's actually... That's actually a key point that you make in in many of your books, but I, I really pulled out as I was reading through this again, uh, the new book, Mediating High Conflict Disputes, again today, because I think what struck me is I'm hearing so many people identify their spouse as they're going through divorce as a high conflict person, and you know it's at such a high preponderance of people saying that right now that we just know statistically they can't all be divorcing a narcissist because, and and I think it's, you know, true or something that to be said that when you're going through the upset of divorce, everybody's going to exhibit some bad behavior, but you make the point that this cycle of conflict is actually a perpetual, you know, ingrained behavior. Yeah. And that's, it's a pattern of behavior. And so that's why I think you're right that a lot of People are talking about, oh, my spouse is high conflict because they've, they've had moments of high conflict behavior or, you know, a week or day of high conflict, but not having a real embedded pattern in their personality. And that's what I've seen as personalities. Personalities are basically how we automatically think, feel, and act. And most personality disorders, people developed in early childhood. And so you don't turn a switch, but we can manage. And that's the key we think of as managing the relationship, managing decision-making in ways that bring out the best. Because if you think of a high-conflict high person, let's say everybody has personality with a range of behavior. And so I'm holding up my hands for people that can't see it right now, kind of in front of me. With high-conflict people, the hands are closer together. It's a narrower range of behavior. But a lot of it's high-conflict behavior, but there is a window of opportunity for cooperative behavior, even for high-conflict people. That's why they can drive to your office. That's why they know how to speak the language. That's how some of them can be very pretty much good parents. So the thing is to build, and that's what we really designed this method around, is to build on that window of opportunity, the part of their brain, their their way of being, that has the potential to get along and resolve things uh, at least for a while. So we're really building on their abilities to do small skills in small steps. And that's why high-conflict mediation has to be more structured and more simple. Right. You even say in the book, and, and, and I thought I, I actually underlined this, that you, you need to have some compassion for mm-hmm. the high-conflict person or the person um, with the high-conflict tendencies. And that really rung true for me um, because the tendency is because the behaviors are so difficult and it's so hard to deal with. So there's almost a villainization that goes on. Um, and that only makes it more difficult to manage that relationship, I think. Absolutely. And, and so that's why one of the things we teach and we teach it in the book is our ear statement method. 
which is showing people empathy, attention, and respect. So when they're starting to escalate in a mediation and starting to say, well, it's really all her fault, you know, and and I can interrupt and say, hang on a moment there. I, I hear your frustration, you know, and, and I'll pay attention to your concerns. But let's start looking at this as problem solving, not finger pointing. And so ear statements calm people down. You notice even my tone of voice calmed down with that. Mm -hmm. And that seems to help calm even high conflict people down. Um, Sometimes it's not enough and we have to take a break for 10 or 15 minutes. But by staying attuned to the high conflict person as well as the other person, you can really help because when when they're calmer, they're more able to do problem solving. But like when you go to court, they're not calm at all and they can't do problem solving and they can't change. And the judge says, you better change. And they're so escalated, they can't change. But in mediation, if you can help people be calm and feel respected and feel some compassion, then they can say, as they do sometimes, I can try to do that differently from what I did before. And that's, to me, that's the icing on the cake. That's a home run with, right? Because we always say, you can't change anyone but yourself. And that's actually, for me, when I first found your books, I I mentioned to you just a little earlier, uh, it was many, many years ago. I was a young baby lawyer. I think I was about five years in and I had uh, my first ultra high conflict divorce and had absolutely no idea what I was dealing with. And I think for me, the light bulb went off as I was reading um, your books was that both for me as the attorney who was dealing with a client who was dealing with a high conflict spouse um, and for him, you know, to give him skills, it was learning to manage that relationship, not change the high conflict person, you know, taking the focus off of their behaviors and on how we, both I as the attorney and my client, reacted and, and responded to those and communicated with those behaviors. That's, that's, that's the key, really, is don't try to change them. Change what you do with them, and you'll get a different result. Yeah. And it's amazing because you can calm people who seem impossibly escalated. You can problem solve with people who seem totally rigid. All of this, it's really managing that relationship, whether it's working relationship, family relationship, neighbor relationship, um, by changing what we do. And I didn't know what to do originally either. I remember as a new lawyer, I I took a pro bono case and I said, oh, I'm a good guy. I'm going to take a pro bono case. Well, that was like the pro bono case from hell. (laughs) And so what what happened is she taught me so much about what not to do because I did all the things that I now teach people don't do. So it's, and it's a world of difference. You really get a different, more positive result. Well, that's, I think I checked off all the do not do boxes as well in my first case, but, and that's, you know, you you have wonderful phrases in your books, and you like ear statements. Um, you know, which is is wonderful. Biff, which everybody, you know, if you don't know it after listening to my show for a couple of years, you're never gonna. Biff, I, Biff is my key phrase. But 
In this book, you know, we were just talking about you can't change somebody. You have the four forget about it. I love it. It's like um, out of the Sopranos. So the four forget about it. So I'd love to go over those. I think those are helpful both for the mediators, but certainly for those who are dealing with a high conflict personality. Yes, these, these are universal and learned through a lot of hard experience. But now it's how I really operate. And by calling it the four forget about it makes it really memorable because it's like you really need to avoid these four things. So the first one is forget about trying to give the person insight into themselves. So if you hear a sentence forming in your mind, how can I make him understand what he's doing? That's a forget about. Just stop it right there. It's not going to work. Or the thought forms in your mind, how can I make her see her part in this problem? That's a forget about it. And it's really, it's, it's, it does two things. That's a problem. One is they're not going to have the insight, but the second is you're going to trigger defensiveness. I remember one time I said, you know, let me give you a tip. I think it would help you if you'd lower your voice and when you make suggestions or requests or whatever. And you know what their response was? Bill, why don't you like me? And it's like, it's not about that. I'm just trying to help you. Well, it sounds like you don't like me. That's what they hear. Right. And there may be some reasons in the brain for that. But they hear. So forget about trying to give them insight. Second is forget about the past. And this is a really hard one. I conflict people live in the past and they want to draw you back. You shouldn't have done what you did. And I was right to do what I did. The thing is that they, they, they're stuck there. They can't get out of it. And so you really want to talk about the future. They don't have to be defensive in the future. They have, it hasn't happened yet. And that's why we teach skills because skills are about what you're going to do in the future. So away from the past, focus on the future what you can do now. And the whole mediation structure is focused on the future. The third one is really kind of surprising and took, oh, a few years for me to really understand. And that is forget about emotions. Don't confront them emotionally with anger because they can escalate higher than you can, believe me. But don't even ask them how they're feeling. And let me explain why. And let me know if I'm talking too long here. No, no. A little bit. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so high conflict people don't go through the normal grieving process of humans, you know, denial, uh, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. They get stuck on anger and it's unconscious. It's automatic. So they don't grieve and heal the past. That's why they keep trying to rewrite the past. So because of that, they're carrying around a lot of unresolved emotions. And they chronically feel helpless, vulnerable, weak, and like a victim in life. And so things happen, they feel awful. And so they, they go through life with, you know, they'll bounce around from thing to thing, not resolving stuff, but just being distracted. So what we've learned is rather than focusing on their upset emotions, is acknowledge what they're feeling with an ear statement. I see how sad, frustrated, angry, hurt, 
you feel. Now let's look at this next task. And you want to help them focus on tasks and thinking. Like, don't ask, how do you feel about that proposal in mediation? Ask, what do you think about that proposal? And so focus them. And I'll just tell you a little story, and then you can tell me to shut up. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) This little story just happened to me at a very high-conflict mediation. Both parties, husband and wife, both parties have lawyers in the room. And most of my mediations don't have lawyers in the room. But this did, and it was very helpful. And I knew both the lawyers, too. I liked them. So at the end of the first session, very kind of difficult. We made a little bit of progress, and we we scheduled the second session. Everyone got out their calendars, and it took a few minutes to do that. Then we're packing up, and the husband's lawyer says to him, don't you feel better now? To which the husband replies, absolutely not. In fact, this was a total waste of time. In fact, I'm never coming back, and he never did. What went wrong? The lawyer focused his attention on how he felt, and these folks feel terrible. So he should have congratulated him on the progress he made and then not talked about it anymore. Yeah. So that's three things. I'll give you the fourth that's real quick. And that is don't tell them you think they have a high conflict personality or personality disorder. So anybody can keep these principles in mind with a family member, in the workplace, as a mediator, as a lawyer, as a a divorcing party, is avoid the four forget about it. Hello, listeners. It's Susan, and I'm here to check in with you and say thank you to everyone who has joined us in the Divorce and Beyond members-only community. I hope you're enjoying all of the benefits of membership, things like the downloadable forms and checklists, the archive of episodes with all of the ads removed, the private and exclusive episodes that I record for you every month, the chance to ask me anything in the Ask Susan Anything forum, and so much more. If you aren't a member yet, it's only $10 a month, and you can sign up on the website at www.divorceandbeyondpod.com. So I hope to see you in the members-only community soon. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, the world's leading high-conflict divorce expert, Bill Eddy, sharing insights from his newest book, mediating high conflict disputes. I really want to emphasize, I'm not saying don't do those with reasonable people. You can do, people can do all they've been doing with reasonable people, but with high conflict people, these are the things, these are the paradigm shifts you really have to make. If you are enjoying this episode, check out the solution to tackling the divorce detour with Story Jones, the founder of Detour Life. Well, you know, I think often when you're walking a path, it isn't until you look back that you understand all of the different experiences. And it's really, Detour.life is really the convergence of so many aspects of my life. And now we return to today's show. That last one... Um, I've seen people or had people do that in the mediation room. You are such a narcissist, you know, that sort of behavior or 
The other place where I see it all the time is people will get on social media and start talking about their spouse or their soon-to-be ex-spouse and start labeling them with that narcissist or borderline or antisocial personality disorder. And, of course, that gets back to their spouse. And then the next mediation session, that's that's all we're talking about. So the forget about it are, are truly key um, and it is hard. I find it interesting what you just said about not focusing on emotion because that sort of runs counter to traditional mediation norms, right? When we're no. training people to mediate, we, we often say, well, we've got to deal with some of the emotion or it will take over the room and we won't make progress. And I think yeah. you make this point really well in the book that with high conflict mediation, you have to upend some of those norms, Yes, and and I don't want to suggest that people, mediators, shouldn't do those traditions because with reasonable people who can manage their emotions and reason even when they're sad or upset, um, sometimes the emotions are a barrier and they can work them through. They can resolve emotional issues. High-conflict people don't resolve emotional issues. They bounce from issue to issue to issue. So... I really want to emphasize, I'm not saying don't do those with reasonable people. You can do, people can do all they've been doing with reasonable people, but with high conflict people, these are the things, these are the paradigm shifts you really have to make. Right. Well, that's why I think the book is such a groundbreaker for the field. There isn't anything else out there that, that, identifies where we need to turn things around as we're dealing with high conflict personalities. Um, and, you know, another area that you talked about and you sort of somewhat touched on it a minute ago is that um, you also in a high conflict mediation need a great deal of structure. Yes. And, and so that, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So first of all, it has to be a simple structure that, they, you can explain at the beginning, here's what I'm going to do, here's what you need to do, any questions about that. So the structure, in my mind, and we wrote it in the book, is a very simple four-step structure. So the beginning is really explaining the process, establishing the structure, and, and asking for questions and explaining it um, so they know how it's going to work that your role is absolutely not a decision maker because high conflict people still think the mediator will render an opinion on who's the better person. And that's just not going to happen. But also the structure is totally focused on the future that, you know, we're not going to talk much about the past. And that's what I say. I don't say we're absolutely not going to talk about the past because I know we'll probably end up a little bit in the past but we're not going to talk much about the past. Uh, The focus is going to be the future and your proposals for the future. And so we're going to look at those proposals, ask questions about them to understand your proposals until we can reach them to become a joint agreement. And so, you know, the future focus, the role that they play, uh, we teach them there's four skills that they'll need to, or four tasks in the process. First is asking questions. And the irony is high-conflict people often come into mediation, you've probably experienced this, 
They don't say, so tell me what I should do. They say, here's what you need to do. You need to tell him. And I talk in the book about someone pointed their finger about six inches from my nose and said, here's what you have to tell her, Mr. Mediator. Right. Let me help you with this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's not my job. So anyway, so asking questions, that's the first of these four tasks. Second is making their agenda. And that's a big paradigm shift, is having them make the agenda with the mediator's assistance. But it makes them think more rather than reacting emotionally more. And it makes them make a joint decision, like what the agenda is going to be, what the order is going to be. And they own the agenda. I know so many high-conflict cases, when I made the agenda very quickly they were arguing with me, no, I want to talk about this, not that. And I'd be saying, oh, but it's better if you talk about this. And now I'm another adversary yeah. in their eyes. So this gives them the responsibility for that. It also gives them a joint task that's simple, just deciding the agenda. And so they end up agreeing on the agenda. Now you've got your first agreement. Then we go straight to proposals. And for anybody trained in interest-based negotiations, you're going to be horrified at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Heads are exploding but, out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what we do is, you know, in interest-based negotiations, which has dominated the last 40 years of negotiations and mediation, interests are good. You identify them so you can fit together things that meet those. And positions are really unhelpful, you know. So positions aren't helpful, interests are. Well, what do high-conflict people come in with? Positions. So instead, what we do is we start where they are, go, that's a proposal. So make that proposal when it's time. They make their proposal. We ask questions about it. If the answer is no, I don't agree, We've already got more information because we dissected the proposal. Now, the parties can't usually say what their interests are. High conflict people can't have that insight. But the mediator can see it from dissecting their proposals. So after they've asked questions, made two or three proposals, the mediator, the other parties ask questions, now you can see what their interests are and you can tell them. Oh, I think this is what's real important to you. This is what's, am I right? Well, let's see if we can bring those together. And so the whole proposal process often at some point ends up where a lot of other mediations would begin. So these are, these are some of the paradigm shifts of the process. And then, so we've got the first part, the structure, the second, the agenda, the third proposals, and the fourth is finalizing decisions. And with high-conflict people, that sometimes takes as long as the whole rest of the process. Um, I've had like, like three-month mediations with three, four, five sessions and six months getting people to sign the final written agreement because there's still a paragraph or a few sentences um, that they can't can't agree on. So accept that and work with that. That's just another thing for their proposals and agreement. So the whole thing is guiding the parties to do a lot of the thinking work. And that puts them in that part of themselves 
that is more reasonable and helps them stay away from that part that's reactive and undermines their potentially good work. You know, it sounds so simple when you say it, <laughs> but it, it for for listeners who are general public going through divorce, they may not understand just what a shift this is truly from how we we're usually trying to steer people away from stating positions because once they do, they tend to get very stuck in them and, right. and we, we go diving into you know, what, what are your interests? What are you hoping to achieve? But this makes so much sense when you say it. And it, it, it strikes me as we're almost going interest searching, you know, we're, we're, we're going data mining with yeah. people. Yeah. And it becomes a very collaborative project with us all looking for, oh, well, this is what's important to her. This is what's important to him. This, let's look at how we could connect those together Whereas if you start out saying, well, be flexible and be open, and they're not ready for that. But once they've got a proposal out on the table, they've explained it in detail, it starts turning into this treasure hunt. And I, I'm constantly through the process telling people, we don't know where this will end up. That's a great suggestion you had, but it might not fit your situation. And good, you made another proposal. This is great. You folks are developing good proposals. Eventually, that will become a good agreement. And that's the thing I notice is if they participate more in making the agreements, that the agreements are more stable and that they're more likely to follow them and keep them. So... It's it's weird. I stumbled through developing all of this by doing it wrong and learning what to do. And and now I think I understand why things worked. Yeah, well, and that's what I've now read the book twice. And <laughs> each time I'm pulling out more and more. Um, but one of the things that I think it also points out, and this goes to probably one of the most frequent questions I get, is I get a lot of outreach from listeners um, always when you're on the show, I get a lot of outreach after, how can I get in touch with Bill so I can have him mediate my divorce? People are always looking for mediators who are skilled in handling high conflict disputes. And, and I think based on our, just our simple conversation here, the book is much more detailed, but it, it is a skill set and it is not your average mediation. So what do you tell people about how to find, you're not mediating anymore, you, you are now helping mediators learn what you've learned. Uh, how do we help people find these skilled mediators? I really think ask around because what I find is people in a community will start saying the same names. They'll say, oh, so-and-so's good at that. And so um, that's, that's what I... I recommend is asking, looking for lists. I do think the organizations, like I'm a member of APFM, Academy of Professional Family Mediators, has some of the best mediators. They may or may not be real skilled with high conflict, but they're skilled in general, and I think getting more and more skilled with high conflict every day. And now that I've got kind of a, a manual for people to read, they can go, oh, because most mediators who are good mediators just need to shift, do these paradigm shifts 
and it will work better. And I've had people say, I get it. That's what I should have done yesterday. And that's what I'm going to do different next week. And they can implement it. The more experience they have, the more they can implement these shifts, even though it may take a few weeks or months. Uh, So I think just keep asking around. One thing I do want to mention, so I've stopped mediating. um, I still do consultations. So I do a one-hour consultation. And I get people saying, can I consult with you just to get myself ready for mediation or to have some strategies? And so I'm happy to do that, but I no longer do mediations. Mostly I do a one-hour consultation, and, and that's it, and steer people to, you know, look in your community. Um, although with Zoom and all of this, people's <laughs> exactly. community can be a lot broader. Yeah. Well, and I love that you brought up Zoom because I skipped over that, but I noticed in the book you talked about one of the assessments a mediator needs to do is whether or not a mediation um, with a high-conflict person should take place in person, or now we have this added capability of doing it via video conferencing. Um, And, you know, so clearly written since COVID started, although I've been online for six years. But have you found that doing the mediations via video conferencing is helpful with high-conflict? I think there's there's mixed factors. So first of all, I think that it can be helpful um, because people don't have to be sitting at the same table. Um, my maybe worst case mediation was where the wife dumped her coffee on the husband's head after he made a proposal. Um, that's never happened in a video conference mediation. <laughs> Uh, so I think there's benefits to diffusing it somewhat. Um, the, the video conferencing mediations I've done, though, with high-conflict people, it's easy for them to say, well, then I'm out of here, click, and their screen's blank, and I can't walk out in the other room with them and say, you know, buddy, I think we can deal with this. Let's just take a 10-minute break and come back. I've lost them, you know, in one case forever. Um, And I don't remember what the wife said. They said, then that's it. Boom. Blank screen. And the message I got was he's never coming back to mediation. So so it's pluses and minuses. What's interesting with domestic violence, because I've been looking into that more and I've done some domestic violence mediations, um, that some research shows that the parties like shuttle mediation where they don't have to be in the same room with each other and that they may like that better than video conference mediation where they do see each other. So doing video conference in breakout rooms back and forth seems like it may be the best strategy for domestic violence cases that both parties are less triggered um, and more productive. So, so there's pros and cons, and I think I think video conferencing is here to stay for mediation. But I think that if possible, a lot of cases probably better off in person if you can do it. Um, but I don't know that that's essential anymore. Right. Well, with the new end button there in the corner, you're right; they can leave very quickly. Um, yeah. But. 
This is, uh, this is wonder. I mean, this is, this is just a smattering of the information that's available in the book. So to all my colleagues that are out there, I just want to say a couple of things. One, read the book. I've already read it twice. I'm going to be reading it again. Sign up for one of Bill's trainings. I'm taking his training in August. Um, I can't wait to take the training and I'm no longer mediating either, but I, you know, as Bill just mentioned, you know, good mediators, mediators who are truly committed to our craft, there's always something new to learn. And this is new. This will, will help you for all those times where we're sitting in the room and somebody, I didn't have the coffee over the head. I had a donut thrown at me, um, when somebody didn't like, but there's, you know, there's always something that happens in those mediations for those moments when you are just sitting there going, I don't know what to do right now with this. There are skills that you're going to learn here that are going to help you in those moments. So to my colleagues out there, get the book, take the training. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then, so Bill, um, the High Conflict Institute, I want to just make sure that we mention it because it's a resource that I always talk about. I'll link to the High Conflict Institute's um, website. But if you could just give a little background on the Institute and, and what's there for people. Yeah, so I founded it with Megan Hunter, who worked with the Arizona court system. Uh, we both were in the field of family law, she coming more from management, and I'm coming more from lawyer, therapist, mediator. And we formed it really to do training primarily of professionals. And so for the last 13 years, we've really been growing that. Um, I've written many books and manuals now. We deal with conflict from all angles. So we talk about court cases, like the splitting book you mentioned talks a lot about how to manage your case in court. Um, we talk about workplace conflict. We've got books. You mentioned It's All Your Fault, which is a generic book for anybody. We have It's All Your Fault at Work. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot, but we've expanded from professionals. Now we have a second website called conflictplaybook.com. We have our parenting course there for uh, separation and divorce, um, and we're building up other playbooks in there so people can really train themselves, and we're doing a lot of training, and with Zoom, we're training around the world. I was training this morning with people 3,000 miles away. Um, we have We do training in Australia, Europe, Canada, as well as, I think I've I added up, I think I've been training in over 38 states, if you look back over the last 13 years. So people are looking for answers, and frankly, I'm obsessed with high conflict, and so I keep trying to find answers and share them. Um, So our website just has tons of information, uh, highconflictinstitute.com. If you want the new book, you can come to the website and click on um, bookstore, I think it is, or products. I don't even remember the name. <laughs> it's also on Amazon. It so is. Yeah. you can get it anywhere you want. Yes. It's on my website. It's on your website. It's, it's just go get a copy. Um, mine came yesterday in the mail, so I was very excited. Oh, Just in man. time, I got my, my hard copy. So, so as you can see, I have all your books in hard copy, so I'm thrilled <laughs> to have it. 
Bill, thank you so much for joining me again. I just, I truly appreciate it. And we'll have to have you come back next month when uh, Splitting Second Edition comes out. I'm, I'm happy to do that. It's funny, everything's coming at once, but now the need is as great as ever. So I want to thank you for all the good work you're doing because you're really educating professionals and the general public. And I think your information is really good information. So everybody needs to know that. Oh, well, thank you, Bill. And I thank you on behalf of all of your colleagues out here because you truly are. As, as I say to everyone when they ask me uh, where to go for high co- information on high conflict, my answer is always Bill Eddy, Bill Eddy, Bill Eddy. So <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you again next month. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.